Welcome to episode 219 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Dr. Destiny Priet. Destiny has been on the podcast before in episode 78, and I can't believe it's taken this long to have her back to tell her story. In episode 78, her PhD dissertation, The Post-9-11 Female Veteran Workforce Experience, a Multiple Case Study, had recently been published, and so we spent time talking about what she learned and her findings from her research. And I had planned to do a follow-up interview to talk about her experience in the Army. And now I'm doing it only a couple years later. But I'm excited because a lot has happened to Destiny since that interview. So we get to talk about not only her experience in the Army and what she is doing today, leading the nonprofit We Too Are Vet, and her work as a consultant and coach to help organizations and business owners. So I'm not going to give too much away in this intro. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want to tell you about a program that is being offered by the VA Office of Women's Health. Did you know that only 44% of women veterans are enrolled in Veteran Affairs Healthcare? This is 8% lower than male veterans. The VA Office of Women's Health is working to change that. They created the VA Women's Health Reengagement Training, HEART, with the goal of increasing the number of women veterans who use VA healthcare by educating them on what women veteran-specific services are available to them and how to enroll. I recently took this course and learned about the healthcare services provided by the VA along with specific services offered for women. I also interviewed Ariana Wagner, a VA women's heart trainer, about the program and how she got involved in working to get women veterans enrolled in VA healthcare. Want to learn more or sign up to attend a virtual or in-person event? Head over to their website www.womensheart.info slash register. This information will also be available in the show notes. And now let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Destiny. I'm so excited to have you here. Hi, Amanda. It's nice to see you and hear you and all that. (laughs) Now we're on different sides of the coast. I know. It's kind of sad. It is. You're like, not so much for me, but... (laughs) No, it's it's hard to move. It's hard yeah. to move and start over. It is. It is. So you were on the podcast before episode 78, and I'll link to it in the show notes. And we talked about your thesis and the work that you did on post 9-11 women who left the military. And so now we're going to talk about your experience in the military. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? So I decided to join the military for a few reasons. One, those who follow me and know me know that I have been military affiliated my whole life. My mom served. She actually left the military because she was pregnant with me. My dad served. He was in the military for 37 years, was from enlisted to officer. My brother served for four years in the military. I served and my husband's active duty. So starting with that, there's been just a very you know, lineage, basically, of people in the military in my family. And so I grew up only really knowing the the military. I was, you know, what they call an army brat. So I grew up in it, saw it, knew the community that way. And honestly, I didn't really 
think I ever wanted to join the military until we started talking about college in my house. <laughs> and while at the same time we were talking about college, September 11th happened of 2001. And at the time, my dad was in the special operations company, and he was actually on a mission to Jordan on September 10th, 2001. And he got stuck in Amsterdam when September 11th happened, and he was a logistician. And I lived at Fort Bragg, North Carolina with my mom and my brother at the time, and I was in high school. And when that happened, it changed everything in my life. It changed the way that I saw what my dad did. It changed the way that I, you know, loved my country. I became very patriotic. I, I mean, like I was like the, the token <laughs> patriotic girl wearing, you know, American flag, everything and talking about, you know, the country. And I was completely swept into what was going on and how the country came together. And I also was really concerned about what my dad was doing over there, not just because he was my dad, but I wanted to know what was going on. I wanted to be part of whatever he was doing. I felt so driven to the, to the mission. And so from that point forward, I knew I wanted to serve and, and go into the, and, and go into college doing it because, you know, in my house, it was either my dad said boots or education. And I said, why not both? So that's what happened. <laughs> and I actually graduated a year early from high school and went into ROTC program at the university of Tampa, Florida. So I, why did I join? Because honestly, I do believe it's because it's part of just my lineage and my blood. And I don't know that I would have thought through any other option beyond that, to be honest. Yeah, that sounds so interesting. And it sounded like September 11th, kind of like you were in the military community, but then that happened and it brought it very real and like to your front door and changed kind of your whole perspective of it just being something that surrounded you to something that I want to learn more about it. Yeah. And you just saying it again, like gave me the chills because it really did it. It took what, you know, when you're a teenager, you know, your parents are your parents and they can feel, you know, like, you know, you love them, but they can feel annoying and they could feel like they're all in your space and your privacy and in your business. And what are you doing? And what are you going to do next? And are you going to college and all of these things? And at the time before this happened, I was like, my dad would always talk about the military. And I was like, yeah, no way, no way. And then whenever that happened, I mean, my mindset completely shifted. It suddenly felt like, it was just what I was supposed to do. And so that coupled with honestly wanting to make my parents proud, also alongside of the fact that I could go to college <laughs> on the military you know, payment plan basically, and then be able to serve. So the entitlements that came with it were also a huge driving force because I didn't ever want my parents to come back and say, well, we paid for your college, so dot, dot, dot. I wanted it to be something that I took ownership of. And so all of those things really worked well together for me and for, you know, service. And so did you get a scholarship for the whole four years of ROTC? I actually got a three-year scholarship uh, because it was a private college. And then whenever I was there in my first semester, because I was doing so well and because somebody else left the program, it opened up an extra half a year. So I ended up with a three and a half year scholarship. And so I really felt like I was given the permission to explore this idea of military in my first semester, because I was paying for it anyway. So I was like, well, you know, I have no obligation right now. So let me just see how it feels. And I'm glad I went through that experience, because it was really challenging for me in the beginning to shift from being, you know, like, 
regular college student to, to ROTC into that mindset. But it really gave me the opportunity to connect the dots for myself before I accepted the full three and a half year scholarship. And so, you know, it, it was funny. My That's how my husband and I met too. We met in college going to ROTC and we both fell into the same situation where we ended up getting the three and a half year scholarship. And, you know, we graduated, we commissioned the same time. And now he's working on his doctorate too. And we haven't talked about that, but I have my PhD. And so it's like been this ongoing, like, <laughs> like internal competition in ways. But I always have to remind him, I was the real OG when it came to commissioning. I was the real OG when it came to having my doctorate. So I told him I'm always one rank and one step ahead of you, babe. So... <laughs> So not only did I get college, but I got a, you know, my husband as well. I didn't know you guys met in ROTC. I met my husband in ROTC. We didn't commission at the same time. He was a year ahead of me, but that's kind of a cool connection because I didn't know that about you. Yeah, yep. we met in ROTC. We met in college and we literally like on a Friday graduated on a Saturday. We no Friday commission, Saturday graduated Sunday. We did our rehearsal dinners and things like that. And then Monday we got married. So it was like a boom, 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 boom. You know, when I do it, I do it big. And, but it was just, it was, it was so funny. And, and honestly, that experience really bonded us. And now, as you probably know, you probably experienced it too. Like having those kinds of, you know, connections together in a way really makes you really good friends and understanding in a very different way. And so I've just been his ride or die through his, you know, stuff because I understand, you know, I understand that lifestyle and I've been there and I've had those challenges and now I work with the community with those challenges. So it's been really awesome. And yeah, so yes, you can go to college and potentially also (laughs) meet your spouse. It is a possibility. So when you guys both commissioned, did you guys get stationed together or is that why it was bam, bam, bam? So you could get stationed together? Yes, exactly. Exactly why it was. And we, I actually was doing a internship during the winters and the summers for HRC, Human Resource Command. And so I had an, like, you know, I had connections and network built in and they were, they told me basically, if you want to get stationed in the first place together, you need to be part of the dual military program. And then also kind of just knowing the person saying like, we both want brag. Well, I didn't want Fort Bragg, but he did. And so I just, you know, it's like, all right, well, we'll go there for the first duty station, thinking there would be more than just one duty station for me, but there wasn't. So we ended up choosing Fort Bragg because he wanted to be airborne. And so, yes, we, that is why we boom, 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 boomed all the way through, because that was the way to get stationed together. And you said he wanted to do airborne, but what was your job? Yeah. So I ended up getting my number one choice, which was the medical service corps. And I wanted to be part of the medical brigade that was airborne, the airborne medical brigade. So I said, you know what, you want to go be airborne in the 82nd and you want to be what we call hua hua. Okay, I do too. I want to be that too. And I can be that too. And so I went the medical route that way. And it was, it was a really good compromise because it was nice to be able to see what he was going through, what I was going through, through different perspectives um, and yeah, so I went medical and he went logistician. It's so funny because I don't know anything about your military career. I was like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. <laughs> because you're doing IO psychology and these sorts of things. I thought you were in like the HR space. And so it's really interesting to hear that you were on the medical side. That's really cool. In fact, 
you might not know this either because I don't know. So I started off in my bachelor's degree going to nursing and I was thinking I wanted to go into the military as a nurse. But then I realized very quickly that I was not good with blood. I was not good with all the things. And so I was like, you know what? And I actually like talking to people a lot more. (laughs) So I changed my major from nursing to psychology before I accepted my scholarship. And then I actually went into the medical service corps thinking and assuming that I would probably end up as a clinical psychologist and route that way in the future. And so that was kind of like my, I kind of made it okay with myself in some ways to be like, you know what I, cause I always said that my motto is I wanted to serve others who serve. And I felt like being a nurse was that way. And so whenever I kind of like dropped that, I felt a type of way about it. So my way of kind of compensating for that feeling of not necessarily guilt, but was to then say, okay, I'm going to go clinical psych and be able to help people through, you know, what I'm good at, which is talking to people. So that was my, I thought goal, but things changed. (laughs) That's really cool to hear the history behind like where you are today and like how little pieces of it you can see through your story and the fact that you want to serve and help others. And like, that's what you're doing today, helping not only the military community, but other organizations as well. So that's really, it's really cool to hear. I love getting to hear stories of women who serve. That's probably why I have a podcast about it. And I love talking about women who serve too. So, (laughs) and I mean, that's what really connected us, Amanda. So, and it's funny, I don't really talk a lot about my actual journey and experience, not to like, because I think it's minimal or because it's, but I do feel like, and and I might've mentioned this to you before, and I know I've said a lot lately, I truly feel like I have served beyond service so much more because I was, I've been so much more intentional beyond service, not to say I wasn't intentional in service, but I was young and I was trying to grow a family and, you know, all of these things and these competing factors. And now after service, I have felt so much more connected to community than I did when I was in. So I really like, I mean, I'm pre I'm appreciative of my, my journey, but in the past I looked at it as almost like a minimal part of my life because I was like, it was a short duration and, but that it was high intensity, but it was short in duration. So sometimes you associate duration with impact and it's not always the case. Yeah, that really resonates. I remember when I left the military, I felt like I had done so much and that there was just nothing else to do. Like, And then I realized, like you said, that the military was just a small piece of my life and it was, gave me tools that I could build on to do what I'm doing today. But I didn't have to stop serving. I didn't have to stop giving back just because I'm not in the military. Yeah, exactly. That's become my, you know, motto now. So my, I really believe in service beyond the uniform and, you know, continuing to give back and figuring out ways to make it better for those who come behind us and are beside us. Because, you know, in the military, you, it's built in those, those processes, those, that family, you know, the ability to thrive is built in. And then all of a sudden when you're gone, it's, it feels like it's so far away. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your transition out of the military and why you left and and what that experience was like, because I feel like that ties a lot into the work that you're doing today. Yeah, so I actually transitioned because so my husband and I were on a mission to get pregnant. (laughs) 
I wanted to get pregnant. And so I got pregnant and this was about three years in the service when I got pregnant and I got pregnant and then he got orders to leave to go on deployment. And when he went on the deployment, it was one of the, it was during the time where the, the tempo was super high with the deployments and the deployments were the extended deployments where he was basically gone for 15 months. So when I got pregnant, I didn't expect him to be leaving and then he did. And so here I was pregnant and I didn't know at the time when I was pregnant, but I was pregnant with twins and I didn't find out until I was 20 weeks pregnant <laughs> and he was gone. And so when he left, he left when I was eight weeks pregnant. So I just found out and we were in this frantic rush to not only get him like deployed and gone. Right. But then to also like set up a baby room. So we set up this cute little nursery when he left. We were like, oh, it's going to be like neutral nursery. We're not sure. Because he wanted to be part of the excitement, knowing he would be gone for the entire pregnancy at that point. And so we set up this cute little nursery. And then whenever 20 weeks happened and I found that I was pregnant with twins, it was like this huge, like, <laughs> I it took him... He was on a mission at the time and I didn't actually get to tell him for three days after I found out. And let me tell you, those were the longest three days of my entire life <laughs> holding that in. And so when he left too, he had a man cave, he had this huge like game room. And so whenever he finally, we talked, I said, you know, that man cave you got before you left? I was like, yeah, that's going to have to be a nursery because we have two on the way. And it was like, it was the best thing that happened to us, but it was so unexpected. And then he came back for R&R, &R, you know, the rest and recovery during that time, whenever I was giving birth to the baby. So he was there for the birth of the twins. And then he left a week later, I had a C-section. So I was on my own with brand new babies. I was active duty at the time. And I was an EXO or an executive officer of a unit for a combat support hospital. So it was very equipment heavy, very personnel heavy. And to be honest with you, Amanda, I do not remember the first like seven, eight months of my kid's life. Like I was on robotic survival mom mode. And then he came back and got me pregnant again. Cause you know, that's what happens whenever you come back from a deployment. They say something to the water, whatever you want to say, but that's what happened. Came back, I got pregnant again. So I had a third on the way and I decided like it was just too much. At the time they were actually told me that I would deploy if I was just like, I was on a deployment rotation, but then I got pregnant. So they pulled me off. And then they said, once I was, you know, done with all that, then I'd have to probably meet everybody out there and thinking in my head to leave my three babies with my husband who just came back from war was really scary. And I, at, when he came back, like he was, he was fine, but like, he also had some tendencies and I was a little bit like trying to figure out who he was. He, you know, and I was trying to figure out how I fit into the scheme of things. And so it was just a lot. So at the time it was the best decision to just leave. And I, I didn't even hesitate about it. Like I used to think that I would stay in longer than four years. Like, oh, you know, it's just easy for me to just natural progression. But because of the culmination of all of those things happening so quickly and the reality of like, nobody really cared that I had these three babies that, you know, they were so concerned about my family care plan that I was just like, the easy choice is just to get the heck on out of here. Right. So that's what I did. And, and I honestly wanted to get as far away from the military as possible when I left because I just wanted to be home with my babies and I wanted them to be safe and I wanted to be safe. And so I just kind of not like turned away, but I ran from it and like, I was cool for about 
four years. And then I was not cool after that. So it took me a while, but my transition was really focused on just being a stay-at-home mom and also working on my PhD. So I started my doctorate the same day that I decided to leave the military. I signed up to do my PhD with babies. So a little bit of a crazy transition, but I wanted something for me because you can't just go from career driven and career woman to like nothing without really struggling. And I knew that. So I was like, all right, let me give myself something to do, which is crazy considering I had three kids, but I did. I, I ended up starting my doctorate at the same time. So that's what I did during my transition. Yeah, I think you touched on like one of the things that's changed a lot for women in the military is the time home after children, because like before that, they were like, well, once you're done with your maternity leave, which at the time was also a lot shorter, I, it was six to eight weeks, depending on C-section or natural birth. And then now it's 12 weeks and you get a year after the child is born. And like, those are big deal breakers. Like when you're making the decision of like, you're going to deploy like right after your child is born, born or a year after it takes the conversation into a whole different experience. And I don't know if it would have changed my ultimate decision to get out, but the fact that women have those options and that it's changed is really positive because you just talked about like how stressful it is and dual military. I appreciate that. And honestly, I really think it would have changed my, my choice. I do because if they would have given me time to like think and digest and understand and figure it out and come up with a family care plan and not feel the pressure of like you just feeling like a warm body in a position then I totally would have had time to like think through it. And then I could have made a rational choice at the time. I didn't, I'm not saying it was an ir irrational choice, but the fact is I like, I mean, I so fast and quickly <laughs> put my papers in. It was almost like, like a robotic thing to do. And it was like, God, just, just the next step. And there was no emotion tied into it, except the fact that I was like ready to get out at that point. Right. So like once I made the choice, I was like, well, now my focus is here and not on this. So I definitely think having time to think through those processes would have at least given me, well, one, the military would have paid off more because then I would have stayed in and contributed. But then two, I would have had time to really think through what that looked like for me and my husband moving forward and my children. And I do think I might've stayed in a little bit longer. So, you know, you never know, but I do, I agree that the way that the military looks at pregnancy and, you know, maternity leave and paternity leave, all that stuff is so important. And I really am so happy to hear what it's like now. And I hope it only gets better because I think when, especially if women are empowered to like make the choice for themselves and not feel like they're pressured to make a choice, then, you know, you have people that are more happy to stay because it's their own personal decision rather than feeling a type of way. So I don't know all sounds good all around. I kind of wish, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think the COVID-19 pandemic, one of the good aspects of it was it changed like how the military looked at like how we can get the mission done because my husband now has the flexibility to work from home, which means he can support me as a business owner when I need him to help out with the kids. He has the ability to be at home and the flexibility to work from home and not have to just take leave every time I need him to do something. And before it was really inflexible and it was it wasn't feasible and it was frustrating because I was kind of limited on how much stuff I could do and now where he currently works, he has a lot of support from his leadership and then they have the 
option so that they can telework so that he can do work from home and still be able to be there for the kids and, you know, share the load instead of it being falling all on the spouse. Yeah, my husband is still really active, like with, you know, hard jobs. And right now he actually works as an aide de camp for the for a three star. So his day to day is still really insane. And then before he was doing this job, he actually was in a different duty station. He was two and a half hours away in Williamsburg, Virginia, and I'm here in the DC area. And so we would really just meet up on the weekends when we could. And it's a lot. It's a lot of hardship. It's, you know, it's funny because like sometimes I still feel like I, I've known him. We've been together since I was, you know, basically like 18 years old. But I still sometimes feel like he's a little bit strangery because he's like coming and going so much, right? And but in some ways it can keep things like, you know, new and, and cool and all that. But then it, sometimes it's like, hey, you know, you're invading this space and you're, he comes in and he changes my schedule and like, we as military spouses, especially are very driven on schedules and like all of these things. And so it's, it can be challenging. And so I definitely think that in the future, it would be nice to have those options more for like across services and across different jobs. Obviously not all jobs are equal the same. And, but that definitely would have changed a lot for me. He was in a special program where he went to college for a year and a half at Georgetown and he was home so much. I was like, are you going back to work? Like, <laughs> Like, I love my husband so much. I really do. But I was like, this is so weird because it really changed, like, the schedule and the way that I saw him being embedded with the children and, like, all this stuff. So it was, it's been fun, but it's just been challenging. And so, yes, I love that there's more options for, for you know, families to really be together. For sure. Yeah. And I think that there's still a lot of change that is on the horizon because... I mean, moving is really hard, and I think that the military is starting to realize that people don't just want to pick up and move every few years. And I know the mission of the military sometimes requires it, but there's a difference between when it's required and when, like, it's just the thing that we do. Yeah, exactly. When it's like, oh, every three years is a cycle, but does it have to be, question mark? Because for the families who plant their roots, it can be really healthy and stable. And so, yeah, I do, me and one of my friends the other day were literally talking about this and how when I grew up in the military, I was moving every one to two years. I never stayed anywhere longer than three years. And so when I stayed one time for three years, I was like, almost like, okay, I'm ready to have, I'm ready to move. You know, like I was like, like panicky almost like I had to see the same people for three years in a row. What is this concept, you know? And so now though, as a mom who has three kids, it's so important to have that for me and then for my job and for what I'm doing and building my business and my career. Same thing. Like I made the choice to kind of plant my roots. Will I get up and uproot them again? Sure. I definitely would. And I think the next time if my husband has to move, I will probably go with him. But last time it was two and a half hours away. So it was one of those things where I was like, well, sounds to me like you should go get a really nice uh, apartment so that we can come visit and staycation every once in a while. But you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> Because it was a lot of work if I did it. Especially now that you're back in D.C. It would be like a whole, you know, uproot everyone's lives and then have to move back. So you talked about getting your Ph.D. when you left the military. And you also talked about how you kind of like pulled away from the military. But you got you did your thesis on women veterans. So how did that all happen? 
Yeah. So the first four years, like I said, when I left the military, I kind of left it all behind. Yes, I was a military spouse, but I really didn't connect with that community very well. I kind of just forged my own path. And the first four years of my PhD were a struggle because I didn't really know what to talk about. I, all my classmates, I was getting my doctorate in what's called IO psychology, industrial and organizational psychology. And it's the study of behavior in the workplace. And so being a stay-at-home mom, studying the behavior in the workplace was kind of challenging. (laughs) But what happened was I started realizing that the military is an organization and everything that I learned in the military from, you know, human resources to training and development to skilling to, I mean, everything can be translatable to regular civilian corporate speak business acumen like you know industry so it was when i put the two and two together i realized wow there's so much to talk about here and that's whenever i also four years later decided to go back into the workforce and so i went in my first job ironically was i was a career counselor for transitioning assistance program for the service member so i was helping people find jobs when i didn't even know what i wanted to do or be when i grew up either but it's actually where I found my passion and my purpose. And I was able to start pushing myself in a trajectory of working with the community, studying the community, focusing on the community. I became a certified veteran developmental coach at the same time. So everything was just starting to align for me and it was all connected back to the community. But that break, that transition, that four year gap where I disconnected myself When I look back at it now, I realized how isolated and lost I felt at the time. I do think I was suffering from some stress from pregnancy um, and stuff like that. So I think I was just kind of in this weird mindset and headset. And so whenever I was able to kind of put it all together and realize like this is really where I belong, then it became easy. And then I started researching the veteran transition space. And I focused on women veterans because there was at the time no almost data talking about women veterans at the time. It was 2017, I think, I do believe. So 2016. So still early as far as from a research perspective, when we started really recognizing the differences in demographics and the needs and the services. So that's why I did a qualitative or an interview research study. But it was because I put everything together four years later. It's the last three years of my, you know, the last three years of my PhD program were all focused on veteran research. Yeah, I think that really brings up the challenge of um, leaving the military is that there's going to be like roadblocks or pitfalls or just things that you don't expect that you have to work through. And crappy part is that really the only way to get through it is time and like processing. You can't skip that step. You know, we really would like to make transition easy, but transition is change and it's a new experience and there's just things that you can't prepare for. And sometimes I've heard a lot of women talk about like needing a break and either they like never come back to the veteran community or it takes 20 years or five years or or four years. But that separation is not an uncommon theme. That's interesting. And and I think if I really sit here and kind of consider who I work with now, not just the veterans, but, you know, specific to the women veterans, it's true to think the most women that are contacting me, whether it's through mentorship routes or coaching routes, have been several years transitioned, or they're currently actively transitioning. There's not like 
the first couple years post-service. It might be because we're trying to forge our own path and trying to figure out how we fit into the, you know, society. Like I talk about this a lot. There's a lot of pressure about social norms and social constructs and what it means to be a civilian woman and all these things. And it's like, you, you have to really start to figure out where you fit into that space uh, from, you know, a mindset perspective and, and when you get comfortable, I think kind of like in yourself, whenever it comes to that is whenever I think people seek out the veteran stuff, because it's like an extra, you know, step you have to take sometimes to feel comfortable in the veteran community because we're women and we're underrepresented and things like that. So you almost have to be comfortable enough to start like having that banter again, to start like being, you know, and, and, and depending on what you went through in the military, it can kind of bring you back. So whether your experience was good or bad. And some people just don't want to feel triggered. They don't want They don't know how to handle that. They don't want to handle that. I did feel that there was some triggering points in my experience, but now I see them as like, I look back and go, wow, like I really learned so much from that. And I've really come a long, long, long way. So I give myself credit for that, but it, it's, it's a process and it's a journey. So it's interesting you say that there's like that, that gap for women. I, I, I've seen it too. Yeah. And I just went to the military influencer conference in Las Vegas and I was with someone who I was with the first time I went in 2018. And she said, are you having that same like anxiety and like struggle between like being a spouse and being a woman and being a veteran? And I was like, no, because I'm not like, when I first started getting back in the veteran community, I did. I had, like, all these emotions, and, like, I really struggled. But now in the veteran community, it's, like, home and, like, with the people that I just enjoy spending time with and having great conversations. And so it was interesting that she remembered that, and she asked me, and then I was like, no, this is, like, my happy place now. <laughs> but in the beginning, it really was a lot of emotions and a lot of challenge in finding my place and figuring out where the right place was. Same for me, definitely for me, and definitely in the veteran community, honestly. I just, and I think it was because for me, like this is me personally, I'm not, I'm not speaking for any other woman myself. I do think it was because I just didn't know like how to act. Uh, I didn't know like if I fit in, I didn't know where I could feel comfortable because there's so much stigma, there's so much, you know, that comes along with it. But that job that I had working with transitioning service members got me so comfortable around them. And I was like, okay, these are definitely my people. Okay, <laughs> like I felt so comfortable because I could be myself. I could use language that was foul and it was okay. I could laugh, I could joke. I could also be really serious and assertive if I needed to be. And it wasn't, you know, called out for. So I do think I kind of like hid who I was, not hid, but I just didn't really pull out who I was for those first four years. I was so focused on being mom, role model, you know, good student, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized along the way, like I kind of lost myself. I lost destiny and destiny is really connected to like the fun side of, I think, because I think every, you know, every community has different sides to it. And I really enjoy the lively side, the support side the family built-in camaraderie side of this. And I do really love the fact too that I can help service a community that is so deserving. And so those two things just make it like a win-win for me. You know, there are challenges, but 
I definitely feel like I belong in the community too. Yeah. So I think that's a good segue to the work that you're doing today. So you're not working for anyone anymore. You started your own business and you have a nonprofit. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll quickly segue into all of this. One, I am a nonprofit president of We To Our Vets, which is a nonprofit that focuses on honoring, empowering, and recognizing women veterans for their service. And so I'm not trying to replicate services that are out there. I'm trying to, one, be a warm handover, and two, I want to you know give women tools to really go be successful in their journey. So I don't want to just like chuck the block with them. I want to empower them through giving them tools or coaching them or, you know, teaching them, right, basically. And then on the other side of that, really working with organizations and entities and universities that work alongside and with this population and helping them understand and bridge some of those gaps that might exist as far as resources or support. We know this because we work a lot with this community, but a lot of people don't know that a lot of women don't self-identify as veterans when they leave the service. So if they're not self-identifying as veterans, do you think they're taking advantage of resources? Question mark. Probably not. So what we want to do is really give them an, you know, a place that they feel safe enough to show up and ask for what they need or work with or be empowered. So that's kind of where I want to meet women, uh, veterans. And then the second part of that, you asked me about my business. Yes, I am a business owner now. I am the CEO of an organization called PG Strategies Group, which is a organization that focuses on a few different things. The part that I love the most about the organization I'm working on right now is focusing on strategies that are connected to military. So for example, I'm working with an organization on helping them take their certification program and cater it to the military and help them translate skill sets. So I'm working with organizations on helping them build out their military strategies. And then I also do a lot of coaching. I do coaching specific to the veteran community, but I also do leadership coaching and I'm kind of building and, and aligning all of those things. So a lot of, I have my hands in a lot of buckets, but I love it that way. And that's why being a business owner and a nonprofit owner is like the best because I get to kind of dictate where my energy is pushed and it always is best served back to community. I find myself most motivated, most momentum built whenever I'm able to service the community again somehow. Yeah, I love that. It's it's just exciting, like all the different things that you're doing and that I'm doing and how our paths cross together. And I'm just really excited for what's going to happen next. So is there anything else from your time in the military that you want to touch on before I ask my last question? Not that I can think of, but I did want to say I've also appreciated our journey together. In fact, Amanda took me on a date <laughs> to the Women Veterans <laughs> event uh, for the Women Veterans Interactive Foundation with Ginger Miller. And honestly, that was probably one of my best memories specific to the Women Veteran community because I don't know you all like except for, you know, these small engagements. And I never met Ginger Miller in person. And I didn't like realize how connected I would feel to everyone there, especially her and you. And I was just like, wow, I barely know these people from like an engagement like sense, but we're so connected because we're threaded with the same mission and we're threaded with service in mind. And I just, I remember feeling really emotional there in a good way and feeling really connected and like I was in the right place. So I appreciate our journey together. And I'm also excited about what we can do together in the future. So 
Yay! Yeah, that was a really fun night. And it was, I mean, when Ginger called out our names and, like, the fact that she was happy we were there, I was like, oh, she knows who, like, I know that she knows who I am because I met her before, but it still was like, I don't, I, I know what you mean. It was really special and it was a great event. So I always like to end my interviews with what advice would you give to young women who are considering military service? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenging one. <laughs> one, I would say connect, not just with the mentor, but connect with each other. So if you you know think that you might want to join the military, I'm sure there's other people who also do. The good news is that we live in a society where social media is at your fingertips, internet's at your fingertips. So you do have the ability to really research and find other people just like you. Obviously, you'll come across the negativity through that way too, but it's important to stay focused on the purpose of why you want to join. And then consider all of the possibilities that come along with service, right? So, so many built-in stigmas and, you know, it can only be this way or it should be this way. No, there is so much. My children and I talk about it all the time. They're like, mom, can I be a cook in the military? Yes. Mom, can I be a vet in the military? Yes. Mom, can I be a this in the military? Can I be a fighter pilot? Can I be a, you know, army man? Can I, same thing with women. You can do it all. You can do, you can really forge a path. And guess what? If you don't like what you're doing, there's more possibilities. You know, there's different services there's different occupational codes. And so you really have a lot of opportunity to, you know, get all of those things that will do you service beyond your uniform. So just consider the possibilities. That was great advice. I love it. And I really like the idea of connecting with others who are joining. I was like, I don't think anyone's ever, they always talk about mentorship, but like if you can get connected with other people who are experiencing the same thing, that really can help you in your journey. So Thank you so much for being a guest and for supporting me and encouraging me. And I'm just so glad we got to do this interview. Thank you, Amanda. And I look forward to, like I said, a continued working collaboration and partnership throughout the rest of your journey and mine. So thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this week's interview. I'm really thankful that you took the time to listen to this episode. And I wanted to tell you about two resources that may help you in your journey of military service. And so the first is my new book, A Girl's Guide to Military Service, which is available at the link in the show notes on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can go check it out. It's A Girl's Guide to Military Service. It's meant to help you answer all your questions about military life and give you a firm foundation for the start of your career. And if you're looking for mentorship or want to be a mentor, please check out the Women of the Military Mentorship Program, which is also linked to in the show notes. You can sign up to be a mentee or a mentor. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.